Imagine, it's the 1870s and there's two inventors, one in America, one in England. Both of them have a vision for changing the future. Both of them want to change the way that we see the world. It's amazing how great historical characters can really influence the work we do today. I'm Chris Woods. This is the Industrial Research Podcast. A while ago, at a previous employer, I overheard a conversation with a newly hired graduate and a research manager. And it was quite, quite a funny conversation. It looped round and it went something like this. The researcher said, hey, what research should I do? And the manager said, I don't know. You're the researcher. And the researcher said, yeah, but I'm new. What area should I look at? And the manager said, I don't know. You're the researcher. Do the research. Now, this conversation repeated for quite a while. But it's a really important question. As researchers, when we conduct research, we're spending our employer's money. And ultimately, somebody's going to ask, where are you spending it and why? What research are you conducting and why is it of value? And that's a big question. Now, I have a process that I've come up with, which I call the research roadmap process that covers this. But before we get there, we have to do a bit of housekeeping. Now, the research we do as researchers in any organisation can be funded from different stakeholders. And that's important because ultimately that dictates the type of research we do. Let me explain. There's basically two types of research, short-term research and long-term research. The short-term research is what a business unit might ask us to do. Usually, a business unit has a pain point, a problem where they need something to be done about it, and it's done relatively quickly within the next 12 to 24 months. And that's very short, directed research. It's short-term research. That's one type. That's easy to justify what you're doing. The longer term research is different. And often there'll be a pool of, of central funding within an organization for long term research that you can call upon. Or there might be a grant or a fund that the company's using or that you're using to pay for the research you're doing. And that's a longer term research. And there, when you've got a more of a free reign over the types of research you need to do, it's really really important to identify what research you're doing, why you're doing it, and why it's important. That's the research roadmap process, and that helps you get there. I want to talk to you about the research roadmap process right now, but I can't. First, I need to talk to you about a bit of research theory. Let's do a bit of research on research. This is all getting very meta, isn't it? But basically, there are three key types of research. And I'm going to cover those. First, there's exploratory research. That's identifying the problem or questions to research. The second is referred to as constructive research. Test theories and proposed solutions to a problem or a question. 
And the third is empirical research. Test the feasibility of the solution. Let's boil these things down. When you look at them, they basically say, what problem should you research? Exploratory research. What hypothesis do we have on how we can address the problems that we've identified? That's the constructive research. Then what experiments can we design and execute to test the hypotheses that we have? And that's the empirical research. Now that's a lot of theory. Let's put it into practice. I'm in New Jersey and well, it's the home of one of the inventors that I mentioned at the start of the podcast. In fact, it's the home of Edison. Edison started research in 1878 on a new light bulb, his light bulb. I mean, he's often credited with the invention of the light bulb, but he didn't invent it. In fact, Voltaire had shown that you could generate light by passing electricity through, through a substance in 1800. In 1875, a guy called Joseph Swan in London was already selling a light bulb. But there was a problem with Swan's light bulb. It had a really high failure rate. It would only burn for a short period of time and it needed a lot of current. And there was a couple of reasons for this. You see, the way the bulb worked was passing electricity through a substance to make it glow. And when it glowed, it burnt. And when things burn, they'll oxidize, react with the oxygen, corrode and fail and the light bulb will stop working. So what Swan did was he put his filament and he'd chosen carbonized paper as his filament and he put it in a, in a vacuum sealed bulb, the light bulb. Creating the vacuum was hard and often there'd be oxygen left behind in the bulb, which would react with the paper when the current passed through and it would burn and fail. And because he picked carbonized paper, it has a very uh, low resistance. So he needed an awful lot of power to pump through his paper to make it glow. And that in turn meant he needed big, heavy copper cables to carry that current. That makes it expensive. Because if I install this in a building, I've got to equip the building with heavy copper cabling. Copper is expensive. And I need a big generator somewhere to generate all the power I need to power the light bulbs. It makes it incredibly hard to install. And so when Edison was setting about a couple of years later, looking at researching his light bulb, he came up with the problem statement. And he said, first, I need to address how I'm going to create a vacuum and how I'm going to do it reliably. Second, I need to work on a much higher resistance filament that requires less power that will glow just as well, if not better than the carbonized paper. So let's go back to our theory. The first thing I said was, what problem should we research? Well, for Edison, it is, how do I create a low power, high resistance, long life light bulb that it's cost effective. The second thing we talked about was what hypotheses do we have on how these can address the problem? Well, for Edison, that was the fact that existing research showed 
that different filaments placed in a vacuum would glow instead of burning. Therefore, an alternative filament could be found that could offer a higher resistance and less power. The second was looking at the new methods of pumping air out of a light bulb, or out of a bulb, or of any service. Lastly, what experiments can we design and execute to test these hypotheses? Well, testing a selection of filaments in a vacuum with a lower current than the one that Swan used to see which one glowed the best and for the longest, well, that would be one experiment. And the second one wasn't an experiment, but it was a search. Search for and identify methods for creating a vacuum. Ultimately, Edison obviously was successful and we all know him for his light bulb. But often, us as professionals, we can get caught up in conducting these experiments because that's the fun thing to do, playing around with the technology. But often it's not really the important thing because it's more important to work out what you're doing the research for. What problem are we researching? And what hypothesis have we got that led us to design this experiment? Otherwise, we can spin our wheels looking at fantastic technology, but we won't have a reason why. Answering that question is what I refer to as the re research roadmap process. Now, what the research roadmap is, when you've created it, is a list of experiments in a given order that you should conduct. But getting there is hard, because to get to those list of experiments, you have to have addressed the other questions. What's the problem? What hypothesis do we have? So how do you go about doing that? Well, the research roadmap process is a rolling, repeating process. And what I mean by that is it's broken down into three phases. And each phase, when you answer it, informs both the next phase and helps you update the previous phase. And that's a really important thing. I've got a fantastic diagram on the research roadmap process. It's linked to in the show notes. Please click through and have a look at it. It'll make this a lot easier to explain if you've got a visual. But if you haven't, I'm going to do my best. So the three processes, or sorry, the three phases of the research roadmap process are, well, phase one is what problems should we research? Okay, so that's exploratory research, and it gives us a list of questions to address. And I'm going to briefly cover how I come up with that research problem. The second phase is what solutions can we propose to the questions identified in phase one? And then the third is what experiments do we run? And that's the empirical research. In future podcasts, I'm going to go over these in a lot more detail. But this podcast, this episode is going to give a very quick overview of the three phases and how it works. And it will give enough to give a flavor of the research roadmap process. So the first phase is what problems should we research? And the way I deal with that is to think about a vision of the future. There are some fantastic visions that exist um, by sci-fi authors, by other researchers, and creating a vision of the future is really important. It could be a vision that your company wants to create and you already know it, which is great, or you can go about creating it yourself. 
once you have the vision, though, well, that's not a question, is it? But it, it's a vision. It's a it's an outlook for what the future might look like. And then when you've got a vision of what the future might look like, you can identify all the problems you've got to solve before you get that vision to work. And you sort of work backwards from that. And that gives you the list of questions. Now, once you have those list of questions, you can move on to the second phase. Before I talk more about the second phase, though, creating a vision of the future. I actually think Edison did this because he's quoted as saying, after the electric light bulb goes into general use, none but the extravagant will burn tallow candles. Now, in the 1870s, that's a heck of a vision. That's saying that, that the existing industry of candle manufacturing is going to be only for the rich. It'll be a niche and I'm going to turn it on its head and everybody's going to use an electric light bulb. And ultimately, of course, electric light is somewhat different to the light of a candle. And it does very much change the way we view the world. But that's a heck of a vision. So phase two then. If Edison had that vision of, of replacing the, the candle with a light bulb, he'd already identified the two key problems he had to address. And that was the vacuum and the filament type. So what solutions can be proposed to these questions? And that's the guts of phase two. What solutions can we propose to these two things? Now, this for us is ultimately uh, it's it's ultimately doing our research. It's do, doing our literature review. So if you're doing a PhD, usually in the first year when you've identified the problem that you want to research, your advisor is going to say, OK, go away and conduct some research. Tell me what other papers have been published in this area, what products or services exist, what startups are working on these technologies. Is there anything that addresses the problem you want to do research in? If it does address it, does it address it well enough? Are there failings in how it's addressed and can you improve upon them? But that's phase two. Phase two is culling the list of questions. So in Edison's case, we've identified two questions. What, what vacuum seal, what vacuum pump mechanism can I use and what filament choice? Now, it turns out there was a guy called Spriegel and he was a German-British inventor who had come up with a mercury pump that was extremely effective. In fact, it was so effective that as Swan improved his processes and Edison was looking for a solution for the vacuum pump, they both used exactly the same Spriegel pump to address the vacuuming issue. So here, this is like conducting a literature review and identifying that, well, we've got this question, but there is actually a really good way to solve it. So rather than reinventing the wheel, let's just go and use it. And that makes sense. So Edison did that and that culled one of the questions from his list and that left him with the last one, which is what filament choice to look into. And when you get that far, where you've got your cold set of questions to look into, then you've got to sit down and look at what experiments to run to address them. Most questions I found, even these open questions of what filament choice do I use, that well, 
they can be boiled down into two separate categories. Well, the first one is, hey, there might be an existing technology that can address this problem. I might be able to find something I can use. Or I've got a potential list of candidate solutions off the top of my head that I think might be really valid. And that's a technology problem fit experiment. And there you can set some criteria or KPIs for how you want to address it. And then you can test out different technologies in, in, your, in your particular um, scenario and see which one is the best fit. And that's one way to do it. Most problems, well, there's usually a solution somewhere. It might not be a complete solution, it might have small gaps that remain that you can then go off and conduct other experiments on addressing those. There are a few problems, of course, which you will come into where it's just really impossible to find an existing technology. Perhaps it doesn't exist. Perhaps we need to create something brand new. And that's another type of problem. And that's phase three. So phase three says I'm designing an experiment and I can either go down the route of checking existing solutions to see if there's a good fit and what gaps are left behind or creating a brand new technology. And that's where we define our experiments or our future work, either which way we're defining tasks. Now, even as we do this, we're refining what we did in the phase before. So phase two said to phase one, hey, we can cull some questions. And phase three says, well, there might be particular technologies I've got. They're not perfect fits, but maybe maybe we could do something with another question or introduce another problem or change the vision of the future slightly to cope with the limitations that we've got. So it all feeds into this changing, morphing, evolving vision of the future that we have and the questions that go with it and then the work that we need to conduct. But the really important thing is when we get to the end of phase three, we have a list of experiments we want to do. We have a list of tasks we need to complete. And those are things that we can cost and we can estimate. And we can tell people, hey, I want to conduct these five experiments. It's going to cost this much. I'll be done in six months time or whatever it happens to be. But it's something really tangible. And we can stand up and say, hey, this works, or hey, I'm going to get to a solution, or I'm doing this because I've identified this need. I know the solutions. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm creating a new technology, and I'm making progress. And that's what the research roadmap really gives. Now, running it in practice, uh, as I have with my current employer and with my colleagues, we discovered, of course, going through this the first time is a huge, heavy lift. It's a lot of work. But even if you just get phase one and two done, where you've got a vision of the future, and often that already exists in the organization and you can, you can go and pick it up and refine it and let, create the questions and cull the questions in phase two, getting those two phases done, that alone gives you something concrete that you can talk to business units about. You can go into them and say, hey, this is how we think the future is going to evolve. How are you fixed for this? Will this disrupt you? Do you need to change? Here are the problems we see that we need to, to address to get to this vision of the future. You might even see that some of your competitors are already working on it. But that conversation drives a lot of innovation and interest and allows you to validate this vision of the future. And that was a really powerful thing to have.
So I've covered a lot. We've gone through the research roadmap process. We've gone in a deep dive into the 1800s to discuss Edison and Swan. And ultimately, these two guys would actually get together and they created a joint company in London to, to sell the, the light bulbs. But of course, that's a completely different podcast. On the next episode of this one, I'm going to go through how to predict the future. And it's a hard question, I know. But there's a lot we can do here. In the meantime, I've got some homework for you. Does your company have a vision of the future? Do you know what it's trying to achieve? Were you involved in the creation of that vision? If you were, what tips or tricks can you share and how you came up with it? What processes do you use to validate the research that you are doing? I'd love to hear them. Let me know. You can reach out to me as always on Twitter as at MCWoods. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe via iTunes or Spotify. Or if you just want the text version that's up on my website, you can just go and grab the RSS feed for that too. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed. Take care. The music used is an excerpt from Bust This, Bust That by Professor Cleek and is used under Creative Commons.